So yeah, let's talk about origins. This podcast contains material intended for a mature audience. Before proceeding, please check your local laws and confirm that you are an adult. Welcome to Full Cow, a podcast about leather kink BDSM. My name is Edge, and I will be your host, and I'm so very grateful that you have joined me for this first episode. I want to start by giving you an overview of what we'll be doing. Each episode will have a theme, and we'll explore that theme through three segments. In the first segment, I'll offer some sort of story from my own leather journey as a way of providing a point of entry or identification, or perhaps even a counterpoint to your own experience. But we'll also be using that to think about some larger lessons about the community and how it operates. In the second segment, I'll offer some more practical kink knowledge or leather history to build or expand your base of knowledge and experience. And in the third segment, we'll do an interview. And I feel that's critically important because the only thing I will ever be offering here is my experience. Now, I have a lot of it. I've been in the leather community for over 30 years, but my experience is limited to a particular sociocultural context and is filtered through a particular set of privileged lenses. So I'd like to bring in some more voices to sort of expand the context for your understanding of the community and where you might find yourself in relation to it. Now, I might occasionally also add in some extra segments, perhaps some erotic story times or some meditations or some affirmations, but the basic structure will be a themed episode with three segments. And a note about sound. I'm going to do my very best to produce a high-quality podcast, but I am not in a studio. I am in my office-slash-playroom. You may occasionally hear my air conditioner pump running because Florida is always hot. You may hear my cat meowing. And if you listen very carefully, you may hear the creak of my leather as I will be recording this in Langlitz. So thank you for your understanding. Our theme for this first episode, fittingly enough, is origins. So we're going to start by sharing my origin story, how my leather journey started, looking at three key moments that really shaped the trajectory of my journey. In the second segment, we'll be talking about the old guard, which is the classic origin story of the gay male American leather community. Finally, in the third segment, we'll be doing interview with Matt, who will be sharing with us his origin story in his journey of submission. I think we have a really great episode for you, and I really hope you enjoy it. And let's get started. So this is my origin story, the beginning of my leather journey. And what I want to share with you are three important moments, three waypoints, which really shaped the trajectory of my leather path. And the first one is the first time I ever had sex. I was 17 and growing up in a little city outside of New Orleans called Harahan, tiny little suburb literally nestled into a bend of the Mississippi River. I was a heavy child. I wasn't fat, but I was definitely chubby, ashamed of my body. I struggled with my body all the time. And around 17, I decided I was going to do something about it. So I started walking 
along the levees. New Orleans, of course, has an extensive levee system to protect from flooding from the river. And I lived about a mile from the river. On Sundays, I would just start walking on top of the levee. I was definitely trying to change my body, but looking back on it, I was also looking for something, something that I intuitively sensed I would find along that levee. Now, the Mississippi River, by the time it reaches New Orleans, it is so wide and so muddy and so turbulent. It is utterly majestic. And there's a little strip of land between the river and the levee called the Batcher. And it's essentially a floodplain. The Mississippi River rises, it floods the Batcher, hits the levee, but does not flood the city and everyone's happy. And part of what it does when it does that is it deposits rich fertile soil on the Batcher. So the Batcher's really quite wooded and has all these little paths. And on one Sunday in particular, I was walking on this path in the woods of the Batcher and noticed this man, shirtless, walking two dogs, beautiful hairy chest, very heavy five o'clock shadow. I followed him. I can't even tell you why, but I followed him. He stood right on the bank of the Mississippi River And he winked at me and I went over and we kissed. And I remember very distinctly thinking at the moment of that kiss, this, this is what I've been waiting for. This is right. This is what I was looking for. It was my first kiss with a man. He took me back to his place. And before we did anything else, I insisted he tie me up because I had had fantasies of bondage for as far back as I can remember. I mean, technically, fantasies of being kidnapped and tied up, but I had had fantasies of bondage. Every memory I have, as far back as I go, it was there. And he was able to go down the street to a friend's house and borrow a pair of handcuffs, and he handcuffed me. And then he put his dick in his, in my mouth. And I remember thinking, whoa, oh, wow, this, this is, oh, this is oral sex. Oh, oh, this is a blowjob. So my very first sexual experience was a kinky sexual experience. And that was the beginning for me. And there are a couple of important lessons, I think, embedded here. Number one, the sense that I intuitively knew where to go to look for men. You know, public cruising is a long tradition for gay men in particular, in part because we were not allowed public spaces to openly meet each other. So we had to create our own spaces and lurk through them. And I think it's fascinating that somehow we sense, we we have some internal compass that orients us to those spaces. And that's really something beautiful. And the other thing I want to take away from this is the fact that I always knew I was kinky. I always knew I wanted bondage. This was not a discovery. This was inherent within me. Now, I certainly don't recommend anyone get tied up by someone they've just met on a levee in New Orleans. Not the wisest thing, but I was 17 and horny and therefore also a little stupid. (laughs) He ended up being a really sweet guy. Um, We played quite a bit. We played quite a bit. And that was my first sexual experience. And it was a kinky one. The last lesson to take from that is that it was fairly unique. You know, this was 1987, 17. I was 1987. And I came out and came out into leather simultaneously. 
That's pretty common these days because there's so much information available on the internet that you can very learn, very easily learn your identities all at once and express them all at once, at least in virtual spaces. But in 1987, we didn't have internet. We didn't have, we didn't have cell phones. We had, Lord, technology was ancient. So the fact that I was able to kind of have my first sexual experience as a kinky sexual experience is fairly unique, although far more common now. That was the first moment which really began my leather journey. The second, I was probably 19. At this point, I had kind of accepted I was gay, still fairly in the closet, particularly with my family. But I had discovered where the bars were in the French Quarter. And I had met a DJ at the Bourbon Pub, which is still there on Bourbon Street. And he took me on a date, and he was buying me a lot of drinks. He was getting me drunk. And at some point during the night, we wandered past or into Jules, which was one of the leather bars in New Orleans. Tiny little bar. I mean, you could spit to the end of it. Very beautifully dirty, sleazy, classic leather bar with really great music. And I insisted he leave me there. And I, I think he was kind of done with me, and he was more than happy to do so. That night at that bar, I met... Mark and Wally, two leathermen, a couple, who instantly became not just my leather parents, but my gay parents as well. Uh, they took me home. Wally put me in a pair of chaps. It was my first time ever wearing leather. The rest of the night's kind of fuzzy because, you know, I was pretty drunk, but it was the beginning of an incredible sort of mentorship. Not only did Mark and Wally teach me about leather, they had a dungeon and they would frequently host little play parties. So I got exposed to quite a bit of stuff, fisting, slings, poppers, some drugs, yes, um, bondage, leather, piercing, all of these things I got exposure to. More than that, they also taught me a lot about gay life. They taught me about fine dining and which fork to use. They were involved with the gay Mardi Gras cruise in New Orleans, and I got my first tuxedo and went to my first ball and really learned some of the finer aspects of life, and they remained very important in my early leather life. They were my gay leather parents. And what's remarkable about that is, you know, you hear a lot about the gatekeepers in the community, the ones who want to determine who is or is not allowed in or what you have to wear to count as leather. And I'm not doubting that there are those people out there. But let's not forget, there are also greeters to the leather community, people who, who facilitate the entry of newcomers into the community through parenting, through mentorship, through sex and play, yes, but maybe through just sharing their knowledge and experience. I was so incredibly fortunate to have them in my life, to find not a horrible first leather experience, but a really wonderful beginning of a very rich relationship. So the takeaway there is that if you are beginning your journey, look for the greeters, because there are people who specifically, I think, are attuned to those just on the edge of the community, just ready to walk in. They welcome you, and they bring you in, and they teach you. And it is beautiful and wonderful. And not in any way formalized in our community. It's not like we have an official greeter society or even really a term for this. I am making up the term greeter, of course. But I know these people exist. I can't tell you how to find them except to follow your intuitive sense the same way I did while walking along the levee. 
And so my leather journey really began. But I will say I felt still very out of place. You know, as I mentioned, I had fantasies of getting tied up, going all the way back to whatever. And the men that I was meeting at the leather bar, well, they were kind of into leather. You know, they were into fucking and playing with my tits and all sorts of things. But I really couldn't find anyone who just wanted to tie me up. And that's all I wanted. All I wanted was just to be tied up. And then one day, I'm not even sure how, but I would suspect I went to Second Skin in New Orleans, the leather store there. One day I found the magazine bound and gagged, and my life changed again. This was before the internet. This was before easy free porn on the internet. This was before apps and sites. What we had were magazines, and the magazines were filled with photos and stories and personal ads. And I remember coming back to my tiny little efficiency apartment with Bound and Gag magazine and thinking for the first time I was home. It wasn't the first time I had gay sex. It wasn't when my leather parents, Mark and Wally, found me. It was the moment I realized there were other men in the world who were just into bondage who just wanted to tie or get tied up. And for once, I realized I wasn't alone. There were others like me, and all I had to do was go find them. That became my mission. And I will say the personal ads at the back of Bound and Gag really helped. I ended up, you know, talk about serendipity. One of the photographers for the magazine who went by Mr. Yang... His name was Archie, and he lived also just outside New Orleans. And so at a very young age, when all I wanted was bondage, I found someone. Well, the universe presented me someone who was an extraordinary expert. I mean, Archie loved rope. He would throw rope and then more rope and then more rope on top of that. And is still probably the most intense, heavy bondage I've ever experienced. And it was, God, it was soul satisfying. Soul satisfying. Something deep inside me finally knew who I was, that I wasn't alone, that I wasn't weird, and that I had a place to belong. And that really set me into the rest of my leather journey. And that's my three waypoints. Those are my origins. And I hope part of what you take from it, besides the beautiful little details of my one singular life, are some of the larger lessons that we are, from a very early age, imbued with these desires, that we intuitively know where to go to seek out, to seek out others who have their own sorts of desires, that if we are lucky, we will find the greeters of the community and not the gatekeepers, the ones who welcome us in and who teach us. And that even then we may feel alone until we discover that no matter your fetish, and I promise you this, no matter your fetish, there are others just like you. And you can find them more easily than ever with the internet. You can find them and you can be home too. And I sincerely wish that for you. To speak of the origin of the leather community, at least the gay male American leather community, which is an important qualification as other configurations of genders and sexualities and nationalities likely have their own origin stories. But the origin story I know 
the origin story for the community I'm in is old guard leather. And I will say, I think there's something about old guard which reverberates and tends to echo in some of the contiguous and allied leather kink communities outside the gay male American context. And so that's a good reason to know more about it. Now, when it comes to the old guard, there are only two things you need to know. First, you need to know what it is. And then second, you need to know what it does, because these are not the same. So what is it? Well, you know, I thought about doing a lot of research and reading a lot to sort of uh, present all the facts I know. But I thought it better, since this podcast is all about me sharing my experience, to share with you the things I do know. And some of that includes a little bit of lore. It's not all historical knowledge. Some of it is stuff that has been passed down to me. But I think that's just as important as anything else. However, to help give you better context, I will include links to some really good pieces about old guard leather in the show notes for this episode. So here's what we know. Americans returning from World War II, veterans, disaffected by the horrors of the war, purchased motorcycles and started riding around the country, and then formed bike clubs. And out of the homosocial context of the military during the war emerged strong homosexual connections among these men, some of these men, some of these bike clubs, that included elements of leather and kink and eventually became what we call Old Guard. Old Guard existed from the late 40s into the early 70s. Some of its characteristics included a strong authoritarian structure, a lot of rules and protocol, and most particularly a closedness. They were a tight-knit group, as they were in the military. They were a structured group, as they were in the military. They were a group with clear lines of authority, as they were in the military. And a lot of the things we believe in when it comes to leather today come out of that old guard context. Some of it is very basic initial coding systems of keys on the left or right. Some of it is a particular reverence for leather and gear and how it should be treated. There were specific rules about, for example, not touching the brim of another man's cover. And there was some sense that leather had to be earned. Now... Each city sort of had its own clusters of these groups, these men who were formed in very tight-knit bonds that did not automatically open themselves to outsiders. It was not just a group you could show up and join. You had to be introduced, and you had to be vetted. There was a sense that the old guard is a little bit like the Eleusinian mysteries, that it was a sort of secret rite of initiation into a particularly powerful kind of erotic knowledge. That's what we do know about Old Guard. We also know that, hey, there are actually some Old Guard Leathermen actually alive today, actually writing about the Old Guard today. But late in the 70s and into the 80s, as leather bars became common, as the sexual revolution and Stonewall and groups like GMSMA, which were doing education, as those things emerged, the knowledge and the skills of leather and kinky practice were sort of democratized and available to everyone. And I'm not sure that destroyed the old guard. There's certainly a sense that the old guard can still exist today because it operated in a kind of secrecy and it may still be there. I've not encountered it and I've been in this scene for over 30 years, but I do believe there are some people who have an unbroken lineage of old guard training. 
which is very challenging if you think about the pandemic of AIDS and HIV in the 80s, as well as the pandemic we're going through now. And the fact that there could have been an unbroken chain of initiation that kept specific old guard knowledge and traditions alive is possible, but more and more less likely. That's what the old guard is. So, what does it do? Well, today, part of what it does is many people use it to express a particular style of doing leather that includes an emphasis on full leather, heavy gear, impeccable gear, but also a lot of protocol, a lot of rules of behavior for both tops and bottoms. That's what people generally mean these days when they are say they are old guard. It's unlikely they are part of an unbroken lineage. Not impossible, but unlikely. But still, some people express old guardedness through an affinity, through their sets of principles and behaviors and actions. But the second thing the old guard does for the community as a whole is it acts as a kind of mythology. I like to say that if the old guard had not existed, we would have been forced to invent them. Because as a community transforms into a culture, it develops a mythology, particularly a mythology of its origin. Now, the downside of this when it comes to old guard in the leather community is that it often acts today as a prelapsarian mythology. And in Christian theology, prelapsarian is everything before the fall of man. Back in the Garden of Eden, back when everything was perfect until the fall. So you might think of the demise of the old guard as the fall of leather. And now we live in this sinful, imperfect, non-utopian leather world. I often think that old guard acts as our shadow. We can't get away from it. No matter where we go, the old guard is still there. It is a distorted shape of the community. It is darkly mysterious, and it is insubstantial. And like any shadow, it is formed from lack. So often, when people deploy old guard, they do it with a kind of damaging nostalgia of a longing for the way things used to be. And there's nothing wrong with nostalgia, and there's nothing wrong with looking back at the past and remembering it fondly and wanting to return to it. But this nostalgia is the same kind of nostalgia that operates in a MAGA America. Make America great again is not that far off from make leather great again. It is a longing to return to an earlier, better time that probably wasn't that much better, not in the way we imagine it. And I think that's true for Old Guard, too. We want to mythologize it, and we want to see it as this sort of utopian leather age. But I was having a conversation with a local elder here in the community and talking about Old Guard, and he pointed out, you know, a lot of what they did, all the secrecy, and you had to be initiated and brought in by someone who could vet you, that wasn't just about this special esprit de corps or protecting the sacred erotic knowledge that they contained. It was also simply the fact that homosexuals at the time were oppressed and persecuted. And if someone found out you were gay, let alone kinky, you would lose your family, you would lose your job, you would lose your home. 
So as much as we want to valorize the old guard as this perfect time of leather, and if only we could get back to it, wow, wouldn't things be great? Let's also keep in mind that they were operating in an extraordinarily challenging time for queer peoples. And it wasn't all fun and games. There had to be elements of fear there as well. And I think that's what makes the nostalgia damaging, because it rejects where we are today in favor of going backwards. And I don't think going backwards is ever a really good idea. A third thing that the old guard does for the community today is it really reflects people's hunger for structure for certainty, for knowing the rules, for knowing how things are supposed to be done. And part of that, I think, is probably inherent in power exchange dynamics. You know, you're a boy, you're a submissive, you're a slave, you want to be told what to do. But I also think it's about how just disorienting the journey into kink can be when we have so few guides and we have so few mentors and making your way can be extremely challenging. And wow, wouldn't it be great if there were a set of rules you could read and follow and know what the hell you were doing? And that's part of what the old guard provides, the sense that, ah, there's the hidden tome of knowledge. And I'm so hungry to know how I'm supposed to do this because I just don't know. I know I want it, but no one's telling me how to do it. And I think that's something as a community we may at some point want to address. We may want to think about people's longing for structure. And I think we do that somewhat through leather families and through tribes. But there is a longing for structure that also then points back to the old guard. So there are two takeaways I hope you bring from this segment on the old guard. The first is the actual historical knowledge that they existed. That's where we started. We owe our existence to things they did and relationships they formed and patterns of movement and styling and activity and culture that they made were the embryonic seeds which made us today. And for that, we want to take the past and we want to honor it and we want to see ourselves as part of that past, part of that tradition. That's the first takeaway. But the second is, let's honor the past without trying to return to it. Let's try not to dismiss the community we have today in favor of some community earlier that we thought was perfect, which probably wasn't. Instead, I would like to invite you to start moving towards a new future, and that future is the leather community as you want it to be. I don't know how old you are. I don't know how experienced you are. I know that I am 51 going on 52, and that my time of shaping this community is certainly coming to a close. One of the reasons I did this podcast and the education I do on social media is because I feel it's important to me for me to pass on what I know, because I don't know how much time I have left, but I don't have as much time as I used to. That's sure. That's for sure. So I want to encourage you where you are in this point in time to start shaping the community you want. And part of that might mean drawing from old guard values and principles, things like integrity, which was pretty critical, and then operating that in your own leather life. But it might also mean shifting into new domains outside of the old guard, which would have been based on exclusivity instead of inclusivity, based on closedness instead of openness, 
based on denial instead of access. And you may want a community that people can get into. I certainly wish that for you. So when it comes to our origins, let's remember the old guard and honor them and keep them in our hearts and our minds, but let's not try to be them because I think it's always a little damaging if we allow ourselves to be trapped in a past that wasn't as perfect as it seems and doesn't have near the possibility of any future, particularly the future we intentionally, consciously shape. And I'm here with Matt, who is someone I absolutely adore. And the truth is, I don't adore a lot of people. Matt, welcome to Full Cow. Uh, Well, thank you. It's really great to be adored, and it's great to be on your podcast. Thanks for having me. Great. Can you tell us how you identify in the community and what your pronouns are? Uh, Yeah. Uh, So my pronouns are he, him. Um, And I identify as both a boy and a slave, depending on context, I would say. Oh, well, that's something we're going to have to unpack. But um, let's start at the beginning. This is a show about origins. So how did your journey into submission start? Uh, Yeah, let's start there. So my journey started about uh, eight years ago. um, And it started uh, fairly randomly, actually. Um, You know, it's interesting, since I've been out in the community for uh, several years now, I've gotten to hear other people's origin stories. And I know that um, a lot of uh, people in the community kind of had more inklings of their leanings earlier in life. Um, And I really didn't. I mean, there's some things I can kind of put together in retrospect. Um, But I was not really inclined towards leather or BDSM for most of my adult life. What age were you when you got your start? Um, I was 39 years old when I got my start. My lord. I know, right? So pretty pretty late on. And you said it happened randomly. What exactly happened? Well, so um, I have a, a very good friend of mine who's also a regular play buddy um, who we had gotten together a few times and uh, had some, you know, really good, hot vanilla sex. Um, and, you know, he was someone that I knew and I trusted. And one night uh, as we were getting together, he asked me if I'd be open to trying something new. And specifically, he asked me if I would, um, you know, put on a hood and put on wrist restraints and let him kind of take control for the evening. And this was something like I'm a fairly adventurous guy. I like saying yes to things. It wasn't something that I had spent a lot of time fantasizing about. But, um, you know, this, like I said, it was a guy I trusted and. I decided to say yes. And even in that first encounter, it was the first time I'd like submitted to someone and given up that kind of control in the scene before. And it was like getting hit by a bolt of lightning. It was just a uh, kind of a random chance event. I love that you mentioned the word trust a couple of times. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about what role you feel trust plays for your journey as a submissive in particular? Mm, that's a good question. 
to me, um, trust is everything in, in BDSM. Um, I like to go really deep into BDSM scenes. Um, I like to go really deep into submission and giving up control. Um, and to be able to do that, uh, I have to have trust in the dominant that I'm with. I have to have trust in the person I'm relinquishing that control to. Um, by nature, I am actually quite a control freak. Uh, and I desire to be in control as much as possible in my day-to-day. And so to to be comfortable with giving that up requires a lot of trust. And I mean, how do you... Trust is so critical. and But I feel like a lot of people are horny. <laughs> And they, right, so I I would count myself as one. I am. <laughs> how do you figure out who to trust, or how do you establish that trust to know it's safe mm. to let go? Because a lot of people maybe are starting their journey and they're like just horny and they don't know who to trust yeah, yeah. or how to trust. How did that How did that operate for you? I think part of it is instinctual. Um, I feel like one of my strengths is I've always had really good instincts for people. When I was really first exploring this, I would certainly count myself as a person uh, that was horny and uh, trusted um, trusted people and really one person in particular. Um, probably before I had enough information to truly trust that person. And the person I'm thinking about is uh, the person that was my first sir. When I met him, we fell into a fairly serious sir boy relationship pretty quickly and he was someone i like i knew enough about him to know he was a serial killer and you know like no great harm was going to come to me i didn't know him well but he was on the edges of my social circle and you know i knew enough about him to to trust him a little bit i probably trusted him more than i should have uh like if i was advising a younger me today, I would probably advise a lot more caution um, than that I took at the time. But I was horny, and more than horny, I was discovering something about myself that was really powerful and that I felt really, really deeply drawn to. Um, and I let that, uh, you know, kind of override um, my normal sense of caution because I tend to be a a cautious person. Um, now that worked out very well for me. He turned out to be someone that was very trustworthy. But you know, I I certainly know other submissives that have not had that same kind of luck. Yeah, and uh, I mean, a couple things you mentioned that really struck me. Besides that gut instinct, and I do think we do have to follow our gut, and we we get a kind of feeling when situations aren't what they're supposed to be. But you also mentioned this was someone who was already kind of within at least the periphery of your social circle. And I think using networks of people, that's a way to establish some base reliability and get a sense of who a person is. So, so I thought that was a really useful point you made as well. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. And certainly the longer I've been involved in the community and the more I've learned, that is something that I now rely on quite a bit. I do want to get back to this, um, to the sense of what age this all happened for you, because you, it is, I think, a little unusual for it, for it to happen so late in someone's life. 
But also, I think historically, there used to be two coming outs. Like, you would come out as gay, and then you would come out a little bit later into leather. And so, your pattern was a little more true to the history, but certainly not true now in the internet age. So, I'm wondering, do you feel like coming to your submission later in life, did that make it easier? Did it make it harder? Did you have more life experience? Do you feel like... Jesus Christ, why didn't I experience this 20 years ago? How did that moment, how do you reflect on that? Uh, yes to a lot of those things. Um, I think um, I think in some ways it made it easier. You know, I was, you know, I think just in general, you get to know yourself more as you get older. At the end of your 30s, going into your 40s, you know a lot more about yourself than you did in your 20s. In a way, it made it harder because I think people thought they already knew who I was, like I thought that I knew who I was, and then here I was at, you know, 40 years old in a, you know, an established marriage and an established relationship, and I uh, kind of had a place already carved out for myself in my friend circles and the wider community, um, and coming out as a submissive and a leather boy um, you know, took some getting used to for some people. Yeah. And you said a couple of things I want to get back to, but, um, I love your emphasis on kind of the maturity you had at that stage in your life. And so much of stereotypical gay culture is youth obsessed. And I do think there's this notion that, oh, you're a boy, you must be in your twenties. But I so value boys who are in their thirties, forties, fifties, because, they're simply so much more aware of who they are. They're more grounded in their life, right? And, and that stability just makes it easier for me to use them. So I love that you brought that up. You also did just mention that you're, you've been married. You were yes. married before this. You're still married. Uh, yes. And I think, yeah, I think that's common for a lot of people who are in a relationship and then they want to explore kink. And can you talk about how you negotiated that with your husband and what that process was like? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I am married. I was married when I found this out about myself. I'm still married. I've been with my husband now for 18 years, um, which, is, which is an amazing amount of time. Um, and we're very happily married. And quite honestly, I think that uh, in many ways, the year since I came out as a leather boy, which was really disruptive at the time, and I'll get to that in a second, um, I think have been some of the best years of our marriage. And I, and I guess to talk about that, I should kind of talk about the process we went through. So my husband and I have been together a very long time. We've had uh, an open relationship pretty much since we've been together. Um, and that's never been a problem for us. Uh, we both trust each other a lot um, and we're very communicative. I know that some you know, guys operate in kind of a don't ask, don't tell situation and whatever works for people is what works for people for us. Um, the openness about, you know, our extracurricular activities was really important. We wanted to always feel like we were never keeping secrets from each other. And we had been in a poly relationship situation at the very beginning uh, when he and I got together. I had another boyfriend. Long, complicated story that's not super relevant. I'll just mention it to say that, you know, we'd had some experience with that kind of situation before. Uh, fast forward many years into our marriage. Um, and I started discovering this stuff about, um, my kink inclinations and my submission inclinations. And I met my first sir and I 
fell very deeply in love with him with a very intense relationship. Um, part of it was intense. It was partially intense because I was discovering really intense, very deep seated needs within myself. And my sir was feeding those and helping me discover these things about myself that he was mentoring me and training me. And that is a very incredibly intimate process learning all these things about myself with him. And honestly, he knew all these things about myself before I did. Um, the very first night he and I got together, he told me this whole list of things that was going to happen in the future. Um, that I was going to be his boy, that I was going to give up control to him, that I was going to let him hurt me, all of these things. Keep in mind, I was still incredibly new. I have to remember that because that was obviously a very effective pickup line. So I'm just going to have to tar start telling men, these are the things I'm going to do to you and you just have to accept it. Well done. Yes, it, it worked. It very much worked, let me tell you. <laughs> um, and But, you know, here's the thing. In the moment when he was telling me this, because it was happening like kind of the first night we got together in the scene, and I thought everything he was saying was incredibly hot. I also thought to myself, none of this is actually going to happen. Like this is this is fun sex talk, every single thing he told me that night absolutely came true. And so we fell in love. And that was obviously very disruptive to my marriage. And yet here we were. And the thing that I realized as this was happening was that um, it wasn't something that I could walk away from. It wasn't something I could give up because this... There was no putting the genie back in the bottle at that point. And so, you know, we, there was a process there and it took about a year. Uh, and I won't lie, it wasn't easy at all. It was not easy. Um, we had a, we had a very turbulent year. Um, there were times when neither of us were really sure if we were going to be able to figure it out, if we were going to be able to make it, if, if there was, room for me to fully explore this part of myself with this other person and this power dynamic relationship um, and and him still feel secure in our marriage that it was still important to me that he was still getting the things he needed out of it um, and that we felt secure with each other because this was this was a big change it was a big change for our relationship and it was a big change for me you know, I think that's one of the things about being in a, a long-term relationship with someone is um, that you don't really understand until you've been in one is that, you know, over a long period of time, who you are as individuals in that, re that relationship changes. Um, you, you know, 15 years into a relationship, you're not the same people you were when you met. Um, you each have independent lives and you grow together, but you also grow separately as, as individuals. And part of navigating that is figuring out how do we relate to each other with the people we are now. You know, we went to therapy for a long time. We went to couples counselor. We were very lucky to find a really great couples counselor who was very um, poly and leather friendly. And we just did the work. Both of us were reluctant to close the door on making it work because we still loved each other at the at the base of it all. 
uh, I will fully admit that I didn't handle that process in the best possible way, right? I wasn't, uh, at first, I was not completely honest about what was going on with me. Um, I wasn't honest about my f- the depth of my feelings for my sir. Um, and, you know, and he was really, he was really scared himself of just all the change that this was bringing into our lives. We did the work. And we kept talking, we kept showing up for each other, and eventually we figured it out. Yeah, I just want to I want to mark yeah. some of the themes I'm hearing in your answer. Yeah. I mean, that you even had a kind of because you had a sex positive relationship even before this happened, there was already this basis of honesty around these issues and I think that was important. And I love that you're really showing it's a process like this just doesn't happen overnight it was a hard difficult process and it was about commitment which is what relationships are about and certainly making use of therapy which is a good tool for all of us on our journeys i know my therapist would say so um i did want to ask you so i know you had that first sir he's Mm -hmm. not been your only sir so you've had you've had some beautiful starts and some ends to those relationships and what, do you, what would you say has been the roughest parts of this journey into submission for you? What has been um, the stuff that really was just hard to move through? Oof. When me and my first sir broke up, I think it was the most brokenhearted I've ever felt about a breakup in my entire life. It was, that pain was deep. Um, I felt like not only had I lost this person that I loved and that had um, been such an incredibly influential figure in my life, but also that I was losing a part of myself. You know, submission and domination is not something you can do alone. And at that point, um, he was the only person I had experienced that with. And so to me, then he was my, he was my only connection. He was my only pathway that I knew to those parts of myself and to be able to express those parts of myself. And so uh, that relationship ending felt like I had, I had lost all this stuff that was incredibly important to me that I had just discovered about myself. Right. And I didn't know how to access it afterwards. Where would you say you're in your journey right now? Um, I'm in a kind of an interesting place in my journey. So I, um, last year I ended a, another DS relationship that I was in. Um, I was with a master for uh, several years. And so that was hard. I'm in a place now where I'm kind of enjoying being a uh, quote unquote single sub um, for a little while. I say you know single because obviously I'm still married. I'm not really single, but <laughs> yeah, that's certainly husband, yeah, it is. My husband would certainly want me to clarify that. You know, I think I spent several years when I first uh, discovered this part of myself and this lifestyle. Um, really kind of searching for my dom, searching for my sir, searching for my master, searching for the person whose collar I would wear and have that kind of um, 
really deep, intimate, ongoing, 24 seven, uh, you know, kind of DS relationship with, which is, you know, what I'm ultimately looking for. The thing that I've kind of realized, uh, in the last year is that you find the best people when you stop looking. And for me, that's where I am right now with kind of trying to find my next serious dom. That is something I very much want again in my life. Um, but instead of putting my energy into like actively seeking that person, um, I've been putting that energy into discovering new parts of myself into kind of exploring into, um, you know, exploring different kinds of connections with different kinds of doms and trying to figure out what it is I really want next. Um, and enjoying, and, you know, enjoying the journey more than focusing on the destination, I think. Mm, wonderful. And if you had one piece of advice for someone starting their own leather journey into submission or into dominance or however you want to pitch it, but what's your one piece of advice for our listeners today? What is my one piece of advice? I would say... I think it's important to follow your own instincts and desires. I think we live in an, in a wonderful age of internet connectivity, which exposes us to um, all kinds of information. You know, we wouldn't have had any other way. I think that the internet can sometimes, um, especially for someone new, paint a picture of how it has to be. And I think everybody's desires, everybody's needs, what really drives them uh, is different. And I think it's important not to get caught up in um, other people's desires and expectations, but to give yourself the, the freedom to really find your own path and find out what works for you uniquely because you don't have to do everything on the menu uh, to, to really, you know, be a leather man or a leather boy. Wonderful. Thank That's you. And thank you so much for joining us on full cow. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this and um, you know, I hope to be able to do it again someday. I would love that. And that's our episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you will join us again. Please consider subscribing. And I hope your leather journey is extraordinarily blessed.